This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, we are so pleased again in 2022 to bring you our community spotlight. It'll be every Tuesday in 2022. And we kick things off with Aisha Lewis. She's a staff attorney representing Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, DREDF. There's a lot to get to, uh, a group that was founded in 1979. And I just wonder, Aisha, if you could just start us off with kind of what is the mission statement uh, of DREDF and and how important is that in today's world? Thank you. Uh, well, the mission of uh, DREDF, um, as we like to be called, um, is to advance the civil and human rights of people with disabilities. Um, it's an incredibly broad category. And we like to say in the disability field that disability comes for everyone if you're lucky enough to live long enough. Um, and our work is led by people with disabilities and we focus on uh, uh, civil rights cases, uh, we do education, we do training, um, we provide mm-hmm. information to parents um, about the services that are available to them and also uh, frontline legal services workers working with um, indigent populations to help understand how disability issues intersect with their advocacy and how to better serve disabled clients. Aisha, you're from New York. You went to law school at NYU, but you're in the Bay Area. Can can you explain how you got to the Bay Area and why this this collection, Dread F, why is this important to you specifically? Uh, after I graduated law school and clerked, I started working at the ACLU, and uh, I was fortunate enough to work in the Disability Rights Project, and one of my colleagues actually went on to become the legal director at Dread F, and she recruited me away to join her in the Bay Area. Um, it's It's been wonderful being here. Uh, there's a really strong disability advocacy community here in the Bay Area, and I've been able to just do amazing things to work to improve disability rights for people in America. What people may not realize is how large a segment of the population people with disabilities are. And you kind of mentioned it briefly, a you know, broad spectrum of people that you deal with, but, but we're talking about like an, an A to Z type of scenario where the folks like the group at Dread F have to try to find some advocacy for and provide some education. How difficult is that with, with a group of this size and trying to do the best you can given the numbers that you're stacked up against? One of the strengths of DREDFs is that we are a cross-disability organization. So we work with uh, people who are blind, people who are deaf, uh, people uh, who have cancer, people who use wheelchairs, um, uh, parents and children with uh, special education needs. It's an incredibly broad category. And I think it's important to think about the ways that the different kinds of needs for accessibility can intersect. And 
on top of being disabled, you know, many people have other intersection, intersecting disadvantages that they face. Um, people uh, with low socioeconomic status, uh, people of color, women, and uh, trans people. Um, and so we try to be mindful in our work of not only addressing the disability issues, but being clear about the way those issues intersect with others. Um, it's actually really exciting to get to work on different matters. In a single day, I could be working uh, with something related to federal benefits for people with disabilities. It could be something dealing with uh, captioning for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. It really runs the gamut, and I think it's one of the strengths of the organizations and one of the one of the cool things about working disability rights. You really do see everything. It touches all aspects of life. One part of that, Aisha, and you you did mention it, and that is special education, and the challenges now that that education has keeping those types of special needs teachers on staff. My wife was an administrator living in the Phoenix area. With a, with a high school and, and also work for the Chandler Independent School District. And just seeing sometimes how difficult it is trying to find a way to meet the needs of so many people with the resources that are out there. Uh, how challenging is that and how do you guys fight that fight every day? Thank you, it is incredibly challenging. My work actually doesn't uh, focus uh, too much on K through 12 special education. Um, but I know that my colleagues are working, particularly in this pandemic, to make sure that students who are at high risk are able to get the education that they need. Another area of advocacy is um, dis disproportionate uh, discipline for students uh, with special education, particularly black students with special education. They have very high rates of having police officers arrest them for behavior that's a manifestation of their disabilities. Um, I don't know if you've seen the videos of students being handcuffed in class um, or uh, I remember there was a student who was in foster care and because she was allegedly talking back or giving attitude, a police officer actually flipped her desk in order to arrest her in the middle of class. And these issues really get in the way of education for students, particularly black students with disabilities. And we are able to keep fighting it, I think, because it's just so important. And the students themselves, the parents, the communities, they really help us um, to stay motivated to continue working for public education for all. Aisha Lewis joining us, staff attorney from DREDF. That's the acronym for Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. And as people are listening to this conversation, Aisha, where can folks get information, learn more about what your group does? Maybe is there an avenue for them to, to get involved or, or provide support to the things that you're trying to get accomplished on a daily basis? If people are interested in learning more about DREDF, I would encourage um, people to join, go to our website at dredf.org. We're also uh, active on social media. You can find us on Instagram at DREDF1999. And uh, I think, I'm not sure if there's a Twitter account. I don't really go on Twitter, but those are two great resources. We have a newsletter um, that comes out every month called Special Ed Edition about special education that parents can sign up for and other information is available as well. One thing I'd like to add about our areas of advocacy, one that's particularly important to me right now is the work we're doing around 
federal um, benefits and marriage equality. Um, under certain statutes, if people are receiving social security disability benefits, they can lose their benefits if they marry. And it's really an out of date uh, sort of uh, framework that doesn't recognize the situation that we're in um, in the 21st century. And what that means is for a lot of people with significant disabilities, they can't get married with the person of their choice without losing the uh, benefits and health care that they rely on to live. How do how do folks listening help impact that? Folks uh, interested in um, helping to have an impact um, should feel free to go to our website to learn more about the issue. And also, um, there's a, a act that's been introduced in Congress called HR 6405. It's introduced by Congressman Panetta, and it would change one of the barriers to marriage for people with disabilities. So they could. I call their congressperson and say that they support it. Another area that you have a passion for and you've spent a lot of time uh, avid, providing advocacy for is gender discrimination. And as we you know, go through our various news feeds, we know that it is something that is on the front lines and things that are so challenging, especially depending on a state you may live in. I, I live in Arizona, work in California. I have an asexual daughter. She was the president of her uh, Gay Straight Alliance when she was in high school for two years. Uh, we've had numerous uh, kids with all kinds of identities, from you know gay and bi lesbian, uh, bi bi bisexual to being trans as well. The door's been open at our house. It, it's important to to provide that kind of uh, collective uh, arm around them, if you will. I, I think it, it it allows them to relax. It, it and people will say that it helps reduce to a certain extent, suicidal thoughts, which is so prevalent inside the uh, kids that are fighting through this and even adults that are fighting through this on a day-by-day -day basis. Uh, take me through your passion and, about this and, and, and the fights that you're trying to, uh, through education and through advocacy, help uh, this segment of the population. Growing up, I was a huge fan, and I still am, of Harriet Tubman. And I think her advocacy, not just for African-Americans who were enslaved, but also for women's rights, really helped bring that issue to the forefront for me. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have grown up with a father uh, like you, who's very passionate about gender justice and gender rights. And I think that uh, gender equality, gender justice is something that all people should embrace and take seriously in our society. I think that there's so many ways that gender discrimination holds back um, women, uh, non-binary people, uh, trans people in our country. Uh, one of the areas I used to work in at my time at the ACLU was uh, dress codes. It's uh, a lot of dress codes are aimed at clothing worn by teenage girls, uh, middle school girls. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of clothing just that you see at the store violates dress codes. It can be very hard to comply with it. And when you have schools that, uh, particularly schools that use police officers to enforce dress codes, it creates a barrier for their education. So a student may have to leave class. They might have to be out of school um, and embarrassed um, simply for what they're wearing. And this you know, has a cumulative effect on young girls who are missing out on school. 
Another area is uh, that I've been doing a lot of work around is parents uh, with disabilities. There are so many um, mothers who lose custody of their children because they have disabilities. And there's, there's a bias that, you know, a person with a disability couldn't possibly be a good parent. Uh, the National Council of Disability found that upwards of 80% of parents with psychiatric disabilities get uh, lose their children um, in child protective matters. And I think when you look at the lack of um, maternal health care in this country, particularly for Black women, um, and the, the the risk factors for postpartum depression and the inability to get good mental health care, uh, these barriers compound to make it harder for families to stay together. And I think as a society, we can all agree that parents, uh, children and parents shouldn't be separated if they can live together in a loving, caring, safe home. And I think that it's very important that uh, we work together as a society to make it um, less of a common occurrence that Black mothers with disabilities are losing their children. Aisha. Troy Kotzer, who lives in Mesa, Arizona, won the Best Supporting Actor for the movie Coda, which won Best Picture at the Oscars this year. About you know, you know, child of deaf parents, you know, the, 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 and what it was like for one hearing child to be in a family of three other uh, people without hearing, and seeing you know the plights and just seeing the struggles and just seeing the lives that they led uh, on a daily basis. Did that provide any? focus uh, it had to be first of all it's an emotional movie if you haven't seen it i would encourage those that are listening to see it it's a tremendous movie and i thought it just really struck a chord and 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 it just allowed as troy said on more than one occasion it, it allows people with disabilities to be looked at in a much more positive light what did that mean i still have yet to watch the movie it's definitely on my list um, but i think it's important because you know, we don't think of uh, people with disabilities as people who can get married and have families and be parents. But, you know, there are people with disabilities who parent their children every day. They're good parents. They uh, provide, um, you know, all the things that are important in parenting. And I think that it just is, it just reflects how important it is to be, to see that you can be a good parent if you have disabilities. People with disabilities are you know, full humans, just like everyone else with our, you know, full lives. And we all deserve the rights to, um, you know, be parents and marry and have the family of our choice. As you mentioned, Aisha, as, as we conclude this community spotlight to start our 2022 campaign, uh, the goal is to help those with disabilities lead full, independent lives. And your advocacy and, and folks that are with dread F and other groups that try to help these people. That has to be the thing that brings the most joy on a daily basis when you're able to find those successes, uh, being able to provide those opportunities and see the the reaction in the faces of those with disabilities that, that feel like you are looking at them as something other than that, that they're just a, a person like you. That that must be the the driving uh, force of what of what happens on a daily basis. Am I am I heading in the right direction with that? Yes, it means so much uh, when my clients um, call me and say, you know, thank you, you've seen me, uh, when I'm able to increase accessibility options. When 
actually also when I'm able to work with people in the private sector and help uh, businesses understand that disability accommodation doesn't have to be difficult. It just requires like a rethinking. And when, when we're able to help them understand how to make things more accessible, there's it's just great. It's great to be able to find solutions. One of the things about disability discrimination is that oftentimes people don't know when they're being discriminating. Often they don't mean to. It just happens that they forget that there are people with disabilities who have who need to be served. Um, and so it's, it can make for some really beautiful, powerful exchanges when people get that knowledge that they need. One thing I'd like to add in is just that um, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I'm doing now um, without the uh, support and opportunities that I gained at the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Um, in addition to Harriet Tubman, Jackie Robinson was a huge role model in my life. And being a part of the scholarship program uh, definitely motivated me to fight for social justice. And he was an early leader in the field. Uh, it, back in April 15th, 19, 1947, he crossed the color line. This is before the Brown versus Board of Education case in 1954. It's before the Civil Rights Act. And he really was a pioneer. And just the advocacy he's done throughout his life has inspired me, and it still inspires me. Without question, as baseball celebrates uh, this month, the 75th anniversary of Jackie doing just that, he, he, he was as socially impactful in the United States for that century as any person in any field. That speaks volumes for, for having the courage to, uh, to step across and, and as you mentioned here we are in 2022 and still an inspiration I, I think that means so much to hear that from you you're accomplished uh, your staff attorney at dread after you uh, went to school at nyu I mean, you you have uh beliefs and you and you have desires to make an impact uh in the world and you're doing so through uh, disability rights education and the defense fund where people can get more information at dreadf.org uh, it, it speaks volumes what it, to, for you to say what Jackie Robinson meant to you. It, it has nothing to do with sports, but has something to do with a person of color uh, breaking down a barrier, which you know was significant at the time. And as we all know, the job is far from done, but it has made progress. And that's all we can ask for is to take one step at a time. Aisha, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. We wish you all the best and. Uh, uh, thank you again for joining us on our initial community spotlight. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 